Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time we can gather as your body when this, uh, this, this community of believers can come together and worship you through song and through prayer and through um, your word. Lord, we pray this, this uh, as we come to your word, as we look at Genesis chapter 2, as we dive into who humanity is and how you have made us, that we can see your glory, that we can see you for who you are, and that we can worship you all the more. Lord, we just pray that you bring this text to life in our minds and our hearts, that we can always follow you with all of our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is humanity? It's one of those big questions, those, those uh, important questions we have to answer for ourselves. And when we look around at the mass of humanity we interact on a daily basis, we, we ask this question, what is humanity? What makes me the way I am and what makes that weird person we want run into at Walmart the way they are? What is humanity? Are we just a fluke of luck? That some random molecules happen to collide and result in some amino acids that happen to come together to form some proteins that happen to come together to make life as we know it and on and on? Are we just a higher order of animals? Maybe not that different from a chimpanzee or orangutan, but just a little better in some ways, maybe more skilled? Are we just luck happening? Why do we have a consciousness that we have, that we understand who we are, and we have self-reflection that seems to be fundamentally different than any other creature on this planet? Why are we so alike the rest of God's creation, but yet at the same time so different than the rest of God's creation? What is humanity? It's one of those big questions that we struggle with and people struggle with on how to answer it. Even the Bible talks about in Psalm 8 when it declares, what is man that you are mindful of him? Talking about God, why does God take such interest in us? In fact, when we talk about humanity and how we answer those questions of humanity has profound implications for all that we do. Has profound implications for our society and how we interact with people. A lot of the societal questions that we're wrestling with as a nation and as a world all are are based on how we view humanity. When you're talking about the issue of abortion or transgenderism or the LGBT um, movement, all of those are rooted in what is humanity? How did God make us? For what purpose did God make us? Who are we? What is humanity? And so when we open up our Bibles, it is no mistake that at the very beginning, God starts with who he is. But then not long, he says, this is who you are, my people. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 2. If you don't, no worries, it's going to be on the screen. Starting in verse 4, we're going to see exactly who humanity is as God made us to be. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. 
And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first river is the Pishon. It was the one that flowed around the whole line of Havilah. There was gold, and the gold of that land was good. Dilium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. This is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When we look at this passage, the first thing we notice about this passage, if we're reading it after Genesis 1, is that it seems to paint a very different picture than Genesis 1. In fact, people make much of this, and they, and they argue about how Genesis 1 relates to Genesis 2, and how maybe these are two different creation accounts, because it seems like the order is different, and it seems like things are misplaced, and they don't really interact that well. And people can actually get kind of caught up in that debate and be confused about that, but I would offer a very simple solution. Genesis 1 is it paints overall picture of a God who creates everything in the order in which he creates it. And as we talked about last week, it's pointing to this picture that he created all and he rules over all. That's a painted picture of who God is through creation. And then when we get to Genesis 2, we kind of narrowed the end. It zooms in on this special creation of humanity. And that he's going into more detail. The, the writer of Genesis is, is expounding upon humanity and how it happened. And, that, and he's, he's kind of painting this picture that takes place on the planet at a certain time before the rains came, before plants are sprouting up. It's like in the dry season, God is at work forming humanity and placing them in this certain place, the garden, for his purposes. And so we can see how they can work together and how Genesis 2 is just going more in depth at a particular level than Genesis 1. But the main point of this passage we see is that we were made with purpose. 
This is a passage of speaking to all of humanity that when you look at it, we see ourselves in the text because it's talking about how humanity was made. And we see that we were made with a purpose. Right there is a fundamental shift from the society that does not believe in God. We say, no, we were made. A personal creator made us, formed us, knit us together in our mother's womb and knit together the first beings, Adam and Eve, and made them. And he didn't just make them just to be, but he made them with a purpose. They're given a task, they're given commands, they're, they're given a relationship with their creator. And so we see this fundamental point. We were made with a purpose. This is such a relevant message to our day and age because so many people are caught up in um, depression or anxiety or feeling like there's no meaning to life. And from the very beginning, the Bible is speaking into this and saying, you, oh man, you, oh woman, were made with a purpose. Fundamentally, that purpose is to relate to your creator God. Fundamentally, that purpose is to have meaning this life as you come under your God and know how he made you. And so this speaks to a need we all have. Why am I here? What is going on in my life? Fundamentally, we know we were made with a purpose. It's speaking to that angst we all feel. And as we dive into this text and, and the supporting text around it, we see humanity for who we are, who we're meant to be. So the first point I really want to pull out about humanity is that we are made in the image of God. And while in Genesis chapter 2 doesn't really say that, it's pulling upon this language from chapter 1 and, and verse 27 where it says that we made man in our own image. Male and female, I'm making them. God is speaking about how he's making humanity in his own image. And so Genesis chapter 2 is showing that more personal and depth what that means, that he makes humanity in his own image image. This is a very important concept that we're made in the image of God. People have wrestled with what this means, but fundamentally what this means is that every human, everywhere, every when was made in the image of God, meaning they have dignity, worth, and value. You can't count off any human because they were made after the image of God. They're made to reflect the creator which we worship. So they have dignity. We look at them and we see that they were made specially by God with a purpose. They have value and worth. The people are not just accidents that happen. They're not just speed bumps in your life. They're just not obstacles to what you want to happen, but they actually were made by God with purpose. And if we can grasp that, just think about some of those fundamental implications that mean that all humans were made in the image of God. Would that treat how you what would that change how you treat people? Hopefully. Would that impact on how you believe the government should do some policy? Hopefully. Would that maybe impact how you think of people from other nations or from other parts of this globe? Would that impact how you would defend the most defenseless of humanity? Would that impact how you would see someone who happens to disagree with you? Would that impact on how you speak to someone across the internet? 
Yeah. Because we can see that every human, even those we don't like, were made in the image of God. They have value, they have worth, and they should be treated with such. Our whole system of belief in the West is kind of built on this. When you go into American history, what is some of the most famous lines of the Declaration of Independence? We believe these truths are self-evident, that all people were created equal and are endowed with certain unalienable rights. I'm messing that up. So if you're an American history scholar, I'm sorry. But you get the point. Even the fundamental documents of our nation are based on this concept that we can look into the eyes of someone who does not look like us and see that they were made in the image of God to reflect him, to glorify him, to serve him in this world. And Genesis 2 is illustrating this unique way in which he makes humanity. It says God makes human. He makes, he forms him from the dust. And then he breathes life into him. And so we get these two verbs, formed and breathed, this form, the expression of a, of a craft, of craftsman making something with, with skill and sovereignty. He's in complete control. He's making this person how he wants him to look, how he wants him to be, how he wants him to function, and then he breathes life into him. I love how the ESV puts it. Through his nostrils, breathes life into him, and he becomes a living being. Shows this this intimate nature of a face-to-face intimacy that the Creator has with the first man, almost like a kiss as he's breathing life into him. Nowhere else is a creation talked about like this in the Bible. That humanity is formed, not only just formed like the animals are and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, but he is formed intimately by God, but then he breathes life into him. We see the duality of humanity right here, that fundamentally at our nature, we are both the physical, made from the dust and the spiritual, breathed life into, and that is who we are. It explains so much of, of who we are, that we are physical and spiritual connected together, and that's how we're meant to be which has implications for how we see our future and how we see our relationship with God. And so often when we picture heaven and being with God, we picture like a a disembodied state where we're just soul floating into a golden atmosphere, maybe playing a harp on a cloud, and it seems really boring, right? Because it's so different than what we have. That's not the end of humanity. The end of the humanity is to be resurrected because we're made physical and spiritual, tied together. And so why we might have an intermediate state where we're with God in a spiritual form, the ultimate end is to have a glorified body and soul together like we're made to at the very beginning. We see the duality of humanity that we're made to be this. We were made with a purpose. Right when God makes us, he declares a task for humanity. He makes man, and he puts him in the garden to work it and keep it. I hate to break this to you, but work is not evil. Tomorrow when you wake up and you're heading to work, it is not evil. Now, we live in a fallen world, 
that we'll speak about next week. And so there are aspects of it that are downright evil. But in and of itself, work is not bad. Humanity was actually made to work. Now just think about yourself. I love vacation as much as the next guy. But after a certain amount of time of just sitting on your butt, it gets a little boring. You get some angst going on. You have to find some diversions, right? Because we're made to work. In our nature, actually, we're made to serve the Creator God. They were placed in the garden to work it and to keep it. They were made to do His job and we're supposed to keep it, which has this, is the same word kind of for guard later in the chapter. And so we see that we're supposed to um, work at it and we're supposed to guard it. And all these things were, are part of what it means to be humanity and they're supposed to come under and find a fulfillment in the Creator God that our work and our, and our tasks we're given are supposed to come under and serve our Creator God. Augustine from the 4th century said, Our hearts are restless until they can, they can find rest in you. And he's talking about the, the general angst of humanity that were made to be completed by God and were made to be under God. But I think that also implies to our work and how we view life and even the mundane things. That why do we not find satisfaction in them? Because we're not supposed to find ultimate satisfaction in them. We're supposed to find satisfaction in the Lord and placing those things under him. But in our society, in our busy society, so often we make work at God and we say, I'm going to work as hard as I can because that's going to get me something. It's going to make me someone. It's going to give me notoriety. It's going to provide for my family. And we put our work that we're made for as king. We can't find rest in that. But we find rest, I believe Augustine is saying and Genesis 2 is saying, is when we put that work we're made for under the rightful ruler of our lives. And see that it is supposed to point to and serve him. We're not just given a task. We're actually given a law. Right from the beginning, God creates humanity and he makes humanity great. And he places them in the garden. And he says, all these trees that you have, you can eat except for that one. And since we're human, we like to focus on, why not that one? Where God is saying, look, everywhere else except for there. But fundamentally, at its heart, what this is telling us is that humanity wants to always strive to be on its own and independent, but at, its, at the core, God is saying, you find your meaning, you find your existence under my authority. That at our core, we're supposed to find who we are under him. That all the purpose of humanity falls under God in our relationship with God. To understand humanity is to understand how we come under our creator. We were made with purpose. So he makes man, places him in the garden to work it and keep it. And he says, that's not all. For man is in the garden and it's not good. Why is it not good? which seems such a contrast to Genesis 1 when he created everything and every the constant refrain was, it was good in his eyes. He saw it was good. It was very good we made humanity. And now man is by himself in the garden, fooling around with all the animals and taking care of the garden. And it was good. Why? Because man was not made to be alone. And so we get the other half of humanity here, that he creates woman out of man. 
that's not good for man to be alone, which speaks to that, that, that community that we're supposed to be in, that we're not made to be lone rangers in our life. We're not made to be on our own. We're made to walk this existence with others. And fundamentally, we're made male and female together. That when we look at this, and it speaks about that there was no helper fit for him, people can kind of struggle with this language. Because historically, sometimes it's been abuse. People look at this word helper and, and how it's not fit for him and, and all this, and they start speaking about how man is superior than woman, and they get into these debates. And really, when you look at this, it's talking about how man is not good by himself, which is talking about a, a uh, deficiency within humanity. That man by himself is not good by himself. He needs woman to be with him for it to be good. That other animals don't do the trick. That he, God forms them and prays them in front of Adam and he names them, but he sees, hey, you know, sheep can't hold on conversation. You know, rabbits are not that great um, partners playing Parcheesi. You know, this doesn't work that way. I don't even know what Parcheesi is. I know it's a game. But he sees these animals, and they're not fit for him. So God makes a helper fit for him. And right there, that language, that biblical language, makes a whole segment, about 50% of our population go, what? A helper? <laughs> Why not? But when we look at this, we see that same word helper is actually used to describe God. It is not a position of inf um, um, being inferior to Adam. That actually is a position more attributed to a military ally. That this guy is not on his own good. He needs someone to come alongside him, watch his back, help take him take care of his mandate to take care of this world. He needs a partner. He needs a good partner. He needs a partner that is true. Everything we talked about, about the image of God, is true about that partner as well. Made in the image of God. Reflects God. And so we see it's not something that can be used to be put down women. It's something that actually pushes, upholds women as being equal with, he, with man. I love Matthew Henry, who was a <clears throat> who is a Bible commentator, he says this, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. That is showing there is a difference between man and woman, but guess what? In their nature, in ontologically, which means in someone's innate being, they're equal. Men and women are equal, made in the image of God. That men and women stand equally before God, made equal before God, and which means that there is no place for any kind of sexual abuse or any kind of diminishing of one of the sexes under the other. And that when we see anything like that, we have actually a biblical mandate to cry foul and say that is wrong and that is sin and that is actually against God's created order. That men and women are equal. But we also see in this that while men and women are equal, men and women are distinct from one another. That they are complementary 
to one another. That the language is that they fit together. That they mirror one another. That they are made to be together. And so while we're equal, yes, we can see how we relate together not as exactly the same. And I think that has tremendous implication for how we read the Bible and how we see society. That we were made with a purpose. And I love when Adam sees woman, this is before he gave her the name Eve, what is his response? He breaks out into poetry. He goes, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I don't know if you can read this. That is highly erotic because he's looking at this and saying, dang, she's like me. I like what I see. I understand how we're supposed to fit together. And it's a glorious thing. This is woman because she's taken out a man. I don't know if you've ever seen um, the classic movie, uh, So I Married an Axmer with Mike Myers. But if you have, you know he has an ongoing poem that he speaks throughout the thing where he starts with, woman. Whoa, man. I cannot help but think of that line every single time I read this text, which is my deficiency as a person, I think. But I see that, and I see it. Humanity breaks out. Man, Adam, breaks out into song and poem when he sees woman. And he sees we're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be knit together. That this is good, how God created us to be together. We were made with a purpose, with an ordering of human relationships. We see that this is the foundation of biblical marriage. That the writer in Genesis says, it's for this reason that a, a wife will leave her family and be knit together with her, with her husband, and that this is the same passage that Jesus quotes, and this is the same passage that Paul quotes, because they see that this is the foundation for human relationship as we know it. That we are made to fit together and it's good. And then we end this chapter with this note is that they were both naked and they were not ashamed. For this is the paradise that God created man and woman to live and, and populate in this planet. This is before we screwed it up. This is before sin comes in. This is how it was supposed to be. They were in paradise on earth under their creator worshiping him. We were made with a purpose. And when we look at this text, we see so many tremendous implications for humanity and how we treat humanity and how we view one another. And that there are all these things that we let divide each other are, are between us and we let kind of get on our nerves about one another, that these things should be, all, should be placed under this truth that we are all made in the image of God to reflect God and to worship God. And so we know this truth and that we know we only can know who we are and who humanity is with first looking to who God is and knowing how he made us. We know that to be true. But the biggest thing is when we look at this text... We see a paradise that we no longer inhabit. You look at this text, and it should fill us with longing. 
For we see man in our relationship with his creator. We see man and woman together in harmony. We see man in, his, in God's created order as he was made to be. Where work is a blessing. He's given a job and it's a joyous thing. It fills us with longing because that is not how it is. That is not how we see and experience this life. For confusion about humanity reigns. Humanity is at continual war with itself. Something seems broken. Something seems off. Just look at the past 72 hours of news and we see something is off. Another war might be brewing. Passenger jets are being shot from the sky. Earthquakes are, are hurting humanity down, down in Puerto Rico. And we can see the meanness and the spirit of the age is not looking at each other and loving each other, but hating each other. And on and on. And we look at this. And we look at the scriptures. And we say something is off. And it fills us with longing. And we feel this loss. And all of humanity, since the very beginning, has been trying to find its way back to the garden. We look at this paradise, and we want it because that's what we're made for. We're searching for some way back to this existence, and we cannot get there on our own. We see that we're made with purpose, but yet we still feel so meaningless. We see that we're made to reflect God, but yet we're so often in opposition to God. We see that we're made to live in harmony with each other, but so often we are at each other's throats. And we feel this loss, and we know we can't get there because we've tried, and nothing that we have done can get us back to this vision of humanity or of earth. But we also have that hope. For when we see this good creator who made us in his image, who made us with purpose, who made us to live in harmony with one another, we see a creator who is in control, total control, who has a plan to bring us back, who has a plan to actually bring us to a better place than the garden could ever be. And we have hope in that creator. We have hope in that God. And we have hope in that <clears throat> Redeemer who's going to bring us back to him. So in our feeling of loss, when we compare ourselves with humanity painted in Genesis 2, we look to God and we trust in him to bring us back, to bring us back with a purpose because we're made. So we look back to him and trust in him. Join us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise your holy name for you are good. Lord, we praise that, we pray as we wait, as we, we are looking at this unfolding story of history, of humanity, that we can trust that you do have a plan, that we can trust that there is a way back. And we can trust that as we see it unfold, we can look to you and trust in you and not in our own devices. Not in our own ability, but 
in your Son, who you send for us, Lord. That we love you and we seek you, Lord. We pray that you continue to show us the way in which we can worship you, which we can fulfill our purpose on this world under you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.